The following is a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, how you can support it, or applying to become a student, please visit www.gpts.edu. Hello and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. My name is Zach Groff and I'll be your host today. uh, as we continue our denominational debrief series through the summer. Today we are going to be talking about the 84th General Assembly of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. This was held in Palos Heights, Illinois at Trinity Christian College uh, from May 31st until June 6th. And it's a deliberative assembly. It's a delegated assembly. We're going to get into what those words mean um, with our guest. And it is my pleasure to introduce him now. His name is uh, Reverend Brad Peppo. He earned his MA from Greenville Seminary in 2014. But he also has his Juris Doctor from the University of Dayton School of Law, his Master's in English from the University of Dayton, and his Bachelor's in Bible and History from Cedarville College. Before he entered into the gospel ministry, he worked as an allied attorney with the Alliance Defense Fund. He's currently serving as an evangelist at Covenant Presbyterian Church in Vandalia, Ohio, working with mission churches in the Miami Valley of Ohio. That's not Florida. That's Ohio. Very important to recognize that. And um, it's actually the same area that my wife is from. For oh, is that right? Worth. Yeah, it is. But Brad, thank you for joining us, brother. My pleasure. So as we, you know, as we consider different assemblies, different synods this summer, we're, we're trying to lay some groundwork for future discussions. So we're covering some of the basics. What are some of the things that make, you know, such and such a denomination and how they, how it gathers nationally or at the national level distinct? And I've noticed that some denominations hold their national assemblies at convention centers and others at local churches within the denomination or at denominational properties like retreat centers or campgrounds or the like. What does the OPC's choice of a college campus tell us about the denomination, if anything at all? (laughs) Oh, that's a question I haven't given a a lot of thought to. Um, I, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is... Uh, oftentimes, uh, and especially the assemblies that I've been part of, um, I think geographic centrality is is one of the key uh, key issues. And um, you know we don't have as many cool, I think, kind of outdoor retreat centers or you know resort type settings kind of in the Midwest. I know that in times past the assembly has met on the coast at some nicer places. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a maybe it's a comment on the on the more sort of um, academic <laughs> kind of uh, folks that we get in the in the OPC. Um, or maybe it's just that we, we like air conditioning. I'm not sure. Well, it's probably a cost factor too. I imagine renting a college campus over the summer is not nearly as expensive as renting out a convention center. And, um, and you also don't need as much space because of those two words I used earlier, and that is deliberative and especially delegated. Can you open up for us and for our listeners, what it means to say that the OPC General Assembly is not just deliberative in terms of meeting to deliberate, but is delegated. Um, as far as the delegation is concerned, each of our 17 presbyteries in the OPC will send a certain number of minister and ruling elder um, delegates to the assembly each year. Um, it's based on the proportion of, of churches and uh, of, of ministers and ruling elders that each presbytery has. 
Um, so it's it's a rotation. You don't get the same fellows necessarily coming every year, but at, at each meeting of the presbytery, yeah, the fall meeting of presbytery, um, the delegates are, are are elected from the presbytery, and so you've got something close to um, an equal division of, of ministers and ruling elders, even though practically as it, as it works out, it um, tends to be more ministers than ruling elders. Yeah, this year, if I was reading the minutes correctly, it seems that 87 ministers showed up and 45 ruling elders showed up um, or were present. How, how do we get to those numbers? Is that what, what has been assigned to each presbytery, or is it that you know some guys don't show up because of whatever issue, or 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 can you just open up the process for us a little bit more? Yeah, I, I think you know if you look at what's actually apportioned for each presbytery, I think there's a total of it's 90, 91, I think ministers and 61 of the ruling elders. I I think it's it's probably just a function of of the ruling elders with their work commitments and things like that. It might be a little more difficult for all those that are elected to make it. So yeah, th- so the the original apportionment is 91, 61, um, but we had we had more ruling elders of that number missing than we did ministers. I think we had 87, 45 for that. That's very helpful for understanding how the assembly is constituted and uh, who actually arrives at the assembly. So moving on from things like attendance and location. How does the OPC conduct General Assembly? I guess this is where the word deliberative comes into play. I mean, what's the atmosphere like? What are the worship services like even? Um, you can handle all of that at once or, or in parts, whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah, the, the overall character, I would say deliberative is a good, a good choice of words for describing it. Um, it's, you know, a parliamentary setup. Um, it, what happens is so, you know, we arrive uh, the, on the first evening, we have a worship service together. Um, the, uh, the agenda is, is, is set out and agreed upon. Um, one of the functions of the OPCGA, and I'm not sure how this relates to other denominations or how it compares to other denominations, but we have what are, are called um, temporary and advisory committees that, that help with the business. So you have the standing committees, you have the, you know, foreign missions committee, the committee on pensions, um, all these different committees that are made up of, of permanent members. But what happens is when you come to GA, all of those that are delegated are assigned to a particular advisory committee. So what happens on the first day of the assembly is the advisory committees meet with the standing committees. The standing committees give their reports, um, explain their recommendations. The advisory committee has an opportunity to ask questions. Um, and then what will happen is the advisory committee will decide um, sort of their position on the standing committee's report and also has the opportunity to make make their own recommendations. So that's the, the committee work is done in that first day. And then following that day, um, all the different committees are just laid out in, in order and we just go through the business of one committee after another through the course of the rest of the assembly. Um, th- that uh, business is punctuated from time to time with with worship and devotions and and meals and, and those sorts of things. So what will happen is each committee will get up, give its report to the entire assembly. Um, the advisory committee will speak at the end as to their, their take. Uh, most of the time the advisory committee is simply silent on the report of the standing committee. And then if there are any recommendations um, of the advisory committee's own, it presents those. And then all, all of the, the matters that needed to be voted on are, are voted on by, by the whole assembly. 
But what are some of the distinctives then about the worship services themselves? Um, you know, because like the other synods and um, and assembly gatherings that we've discussed so far this year, it seems that the OPC also conducts its deliberations uh, with uh, breaks for worship. And right. uh, you know, is there you know the the PCA General Assembly not? And I don't want to draw a comparison, you know, too much throughout our talk now. But there is a, a governing theme over all, even the the worship services. Is there anything like that at the OPC, or or is it really up to the to moderator or the stated clerk to decide, you know, what goes into worship services? You know, how how does how does that work? So there there's a session of a particular church at the end of each assembly that is chosen to. Um, basically to lead the initial worship service. Um, so there's a distinction. We, the, the first night we gather together, we have preaching, um, the Lord's Supper, um, lots of singing together. And then each day um, through the course of the business, usually um, I think it's right before the lunch hour, we'll have somebody that will give a, a devotional, um, so a shorter sermon. And, I, and if uh, if I understand correctly, I believe those folks are just chosen by their presbytery, and there doesn't seem to have been any uh, thematic coordination or anything like that. It was just what you know, what each minister um, decided to to focus on. Also, I should say, in addition to the devotions throughout, um, every time that we recess and come back together, we begin with singing. So there, there really is a lot of a lot of um, worship throughout the whole assembly. I'm I'm looking here, and I saw that. Uh... Larry Westerveld was elected moderator, and so he was the moderator for the 84th um, General Assembly, and then the moderator for the 83rd um, was um, a Paul ruling Tavares. elder. Yeah, Tavares. Right. So is that something that you all alternate year by year, or is it just whoever happens to be elected, if he's a ruling elder or a, or a minister, that just that is what it is? Um, how, does the, how is the moderator selected at the OPCGA? Yeah, I, I don't, again, I don't think it's anything that there's any sort of coordinated plan for. Um, this was my, my third General Assembly that I was out, uh, that I've attended. And uh, this is the first time that it appeared to me that there was, there was not even any notice um, beforehand for, for Mr. Westerville. Um, there was one nomination that kind of came, you know, after some silence, and there wasn't another nomination. And uh, so there wasn't even the, uh, the necessity of a vote. Um, and he legitimately seemed to be uh, caught by surprise. He did a fantastic job. Um, he really, really did a great, great job. But no, I don't. I don't think there's any any coordination or thought or alternation between ruling elder and minister. Thanks for that, Brad. Can Can you give us a brief overview of what actually happened at this assembly? What What were some of the issues that you all were dealing with? Um, can you open up for us without going into too much granular detail, the, the business of the 84th General Assembly of the OPC. I'd say a, a couple of the high points, um, some of the uh, unusual and interesting things. One, one there was a, um, a recommendation um, with respect to the Christian Education Committee um, looking at the possibility of updating the language of, of the Westminster Standards at the denomination. Um, so this this wouldn't be simply creating a modern English sort of study version, but but an updating of the language. Um, there was a lot of discussion about that. Um, some really good arguments. Uh, the end result was that that was uh, recommitted back to the Christian Education Committee um, to come with, I think, a more a more detailed recommendation to the next assembly. Um, so that that was something um, interesting. 
um, perhaps a little bit more mundane, but um, also of note, one of our we used to have a committee for the care of ministers and a committee on pensions. Um, one of the things we did was combine those, so we have one one fewer um, committee than we used to as an assembly. Um, oh, another thing I should mention that happens through the course of the assembly that's always, I, I think, a high point for me, something I really enjoy, is I think it's every time after we come back from recess, we have a different fraternal delegate from one of the other um, churches with whom we have relations address the assembly. And those are always, those are always very encouraging, just um, really a blessing to see, you know, brothers from, from churches around the country and around, around the world um, coming and reporting on what's happening in their churches, um, expressing their, their affection for us. Um, that's, uh, that's a really important part of it. Um, along those lines, one of the things that happens that happened to that, I believe, was fairly historic, um, is that we entered into um, ecclesiastical fellowship with the Bible Presbyterian Church. Um, from the standpoint of our history, the, the Bible Presbyterian Church and the OPC really came out of the main line back in the 30s as one group, um, and there were some difficulties um, that that took place with, within the members of that first group that came out, and it was only a year later that there was a split between the OPC and the Bible Presbyterian Church in 1937. Um, so that was, that was extremely encouraging to see um, steps toward a deeper fellowship with, with that denomination. Um, as far as other things that happened, we had some, some judicial cases, and actually we had three of those. And, you know, judicial cases can be, can be a discouragement and an encouragement at the same time. I mean, for, on the one hand, you have, you know, every judicial case that, or almost every judicial case that comes before the assembly, you have you know, difficult circumstances underlying it, either at the, at the um, congregational or the presbyterial level. And, and so there's a lot of sifting through of a lot of details and you know, a lot of difficult things. But at the same time, in my, in my experience, it, it really is an encouragement to see the body, um, see the assembly come together really carefully, work through all of the issues. Um, the, the brothers there are, you know, they, they demonstrate um, a real willingness to, to take the time that's necessary to sift through those things. And um, always feel like you know each side has is given its full opportunity to to present its arguments, and so it's it's an encouragement to me when I'm there and I see a judicial case, seeing how Presbyterianism works when it works like it's supposed to work. Those were those were some of the big things that happened at the 84th Assembly. Now backing up a little bit to that that first big thing that you said, the updating of the language of the standards. Yes. When I visited the OPC General Assembly last year, there was a motion brought to the floor to um, for the OPC to make a denominationally sanctioned, um, updated language version of the shorter catechism for use in in working with international students at, at I think Penn State University. And it, the the man that brought the motion to the floor, or who was discussing it from the front, I think it was Jeremiah Montgomery. He yes. said uh, he speci- I remember him specifically saying this was last year that this was not to be used uh, as a constitutionally binding document. This would only be used for teaching. But it sounds like what you just said with the updating of the language of the standards that you all discussed this year 
that it was in fact um, a discussion of of constitutionally binding um, material. Is that is it? Uh, I don't even know. Yeah. If that, so no, that, that is what you all right. were discussing. Oh, wow. Yes, that's that's correct. I think uh, Jeremiah's proposal was as you described it, and I think it, it sparked a, a broader discussion, especially among the members of the, the Standing Committee of the Christian Education. And, you know, over the course of the months and they're discussing it, this is where they came down is that this is the proposal that they wanted to make. So if, um, you know, next year, I guess we'll continue watching how this conversation plays out, but theoretically we could have the OPC generating a um a new edition of the Westminster standards and uh thereby distancing itself in a way from other presbyterian bodies that will continue to use the older language insightful comment because that was one of the big points of discussion was uh, to what degree um does this affect our fraternal relations to what degree do we need to confer with our our sister churches as as we're going through this process, so yeah, that was that was definitely an issue that was that was on the radar, and I think one of the one of the main reasons for sort of applying the brakes slowly, and to just get some more details, and actually I think to give the the members of the committee the opportunity to have that discussion with um, with folks from other denominations, just to see what all the ramifications of that would be. Yeah, I would imagine they'd be pretty. Uh widespread. I mean, the OPC is a significant Presbyterian denomination. So whatever you all decide on this is going to have ramifications for smaller denominations like uh, the BPC, with whom you now have fellowship, but also larger denominations like the PCA um, that at this point have on paper the same standards as you all. That's correct. One, one thing I think it's important for me to emphasize in this is that the 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 um, kind of changes that are being proposed are are extremely minor. Um, simply updating the uh, the archaic language. I know there's some you know even debate back and forth as to what would fall into what category. But um, the, in the uh, in the in the report from the committee, they gave us sort of a list of of some of the examples of language that they would have been updating. But yeah, even you're right, absolutely. Even with those minor changes, it still does raise those issues of fraternal relations, and uh, we'll see how that progresses. I'm excited to see how that progresses, and I'm hoping that, <laughs> I'm hoping that I'll be able to be at next year's um, General Assembly with the OPC. The only reason I missed this year um, was because of a conflict with uh, another, ske- another obligation I had on my schedule. So, um, Well, your absence at the breakfast table was noted. I will say. Oh, no. Well, at least I reserved <laughs> the room for you all, and I'm sure Dr. Curdo handled himself just fine. Without me. We did appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Brad, I appreciate you giving us a high-level overview of the assembly, and it sounds like a lot of your work was wrapped up in judicial cases, which um, with due deference to what those what those entail, right, the um, the issues of personality and, and, and what men have said and all those things— you know, I, I don't want to get into too many details for that, but are there, is there anything else that happened at the assembly that you that you really wanted to to highlight or to um, to bring out for us? Well, and this is just more a matter of sort of my I don't think it's my individual personal experience, but uh, one of the really great things about the assembly is is all the fellowship that takes place um, in the meetings and and in between the meetings. Um, you know, I was a distant student at Greenville, and um, 
you know, here's, here's a little plug for the seminary. One thing I always tell people is that I, I feel like the seminary did a fantastic job of, of making the distance students feel like they were actually a part of the student body. And so just to walk into the assembly and see that little knot of Greenville guys, um, you know, just brought a whole lot of joy to my heart and spending, spending time with, uh, you know, with my, my former classmates was, was really enjoyable. Um, the, the meal times at assembly are great. Um, it, one thing I've noted is that the, the men are constantly, um, mixing with one another. Um, you know, you don't get, you know, one table of the same guys from every, for every meal. Um, you've got a lot of the brothers who are, you know, making a, a, a very concerted effort to, to go from table to table, from meal to meal, meet new people, establish relationships with, with uh, brothers that they hadn't known before. Um, I, I, I personally, I, that's, that's the highlight for me is, is the fellowship of those brothers, the renewal of those, those, you know, older relationships and, and the forming of new relationships. Um, I, I think there's probably as much import and value to the church in, in what happens at the meals and in the, in the social times than, than in the business of the church. It really, again, just reinforces um, that connectionalism and uh, reminds us that, you know, we are part of, part of one denomination and, and all in it together. It's, it's, it's extremely enjoyable in that respect. Did you all go over together how large the denomination is at this point in terms of membership and number of churches and mission churches? I mean, everything I'm hearing out of the OPC is that, is that there, there's, there's, some, there's some notable, if not really significant, there's some notable growth in terms of planting of churches across the country. Um, did you all discuss that at General Assembly? We did. Um, the statistical port report is a, uh, a staple. <laughs> we have that every year. And um, yeah, the, the the numbers numbers were interesting. Um, there there were a lot of new mission works, um, but it, it seems as though um, we're replacing churches that that are either folding or leaving. Um, numbers were were fairly stable um, from from last year to this. Um, I just got the numbers here in front of me. We, we're now looking at uh, 278 local churches. 44 mission works. Uh, right now we have a, a membership of about 31,540 um, ministers, and that's in, in seven presbyteries. Um, it, giving has increased. That was one encouraging statistic. Um, but yeah, as far, as far as overall increase, that's, that's not something we're seeing right now. We're seeing fair, fairly stable numbers. And um, yeah, that, that's been my experience as well. So I, I noted that there was growth. What I meant to say is there are new churches cropping up. I have also heard of some of the sad cases of, of churches not being able to sustain a witness for whatever reason where they are. And, right. Um, but to hear that there's stability in the OPC is an encouraging thing. You had mentioned that you now have fellowship with the Bible Prez as of this General Assembly, but you've also— um, are, is that also the case with the Free Church of Scotland Continuing Synod? I do not recall exactly what the relationship is there. Um, I know I, there was a fraternal delegate from there, and yeah, you know what? I yes. It looks like yes, the I same think, language. It's yes. In the minutes. Yes, we vote. We voted on, on that as well. I do recall now. Yes. And tell me a little bit. You. It looks like Reformed Presbyterian Church of Northeast India. Um, you've you have corresponding relations with now. What does it mean to have corresponding relations with an international body? Corresponding relationships are. 
uh, sort of the front end. Um, it's the, the, the handshake, I, I believe. I'm trying to remember. I don't think there's an earlier, earlier part. I think that's, that's the initial relationship. So once we've made contact and recognize one another's existence, um, I think that's, that's early on in the, in the stage. But we did, yeah, we did receive some communication from, from that church in India. That's another really exciting thing about this is with the fraternal delegates there, I mean, there are, you know, we, we've, we've talked about churches now in Greece, churches in Korea, churches in India, churches in Japan. Um, I remember three years ago when I was at the General Assembly, we entered into Ecclesiastical Fellowship with the Presbyterian Church of Brazil. Uh, that's, a, that's a denomination that has two million members. And just to, to find out about these different denominations that, you know, personally I had never heard about before, to find out, you know, their, their commitment to, to orthodoxy, um, their, you know, their commitment to scriptures and to the Westminster Standards, that's, that's a, again, that's an, just an extremely encouraging part of, of the assembly. And the Presbyterian Church in Brazil is one that uh, sends a lot of students to Greenville Seminary. And by a lot, I, I mean, you know, a couple every year, and I think this fall— We'll have, um, if you include um, our current student from Brazil who just started last year, and then the the additional students coming in, we're going to have at least three, maybe four or five Brazilian students here in our midst uh, for the fall, which is really great, all from the Iglesia Presbyteriana Brazil. And, um, and one of our professors, Breno Macedo, who teaches homiletics here, uh, as an adjunct currently, he is ordained in in the IPB, um, which is that, okay. which is that church. So Fantastic. you you mentioned um, uh, corresponding relations, and then there is this other category of ecclesiastical fellowship, and it looks like the Evangelical Reformed Church Westminster Confession. I'm not sure what country that's in, but it looks as though that they've been welcomed into a sister church relationship. That is one of ecclesiastical fellowship. How is that different than corresponding relations with a body? So ecclesiastical fellowship is the highest level of fellowship short of organic union. So what does that mean functionally then? Functionally, that means uh, ministers can serve um, from one church to the other. I think that's the, you know, that's kind of the most acute practical um, sort of part of that is that we, we can accept ministers from one denomination into the other. So when a man transfers in to an OPC presbytery from a sister church, then that man um, will be examined, but it will be a transfer examination and not a, um, not a full um, ordination exam like you would if you were coming out of seminary. That's correct. That's correct. Well, Brad... You know, th- these interviews are supposed to be short. They're denominational debriefs. Um, they're not supposed to be too, too long. But um, I do want to give you the opportunity to share, you know, a couple of the things that you were, you were most encouraged by, that you were most alarmed by or concerned by, if anything, and then any final thoughts you'd want to share with our listeners. Okay, thanks. Um, First, let me let me say something I think you can throw in earlier about one of the other kind of high points that's been happening um, and that things that we've been discussing at GA. Um, some years ago, uh, the OPC and the UR, um, URCNA, the United Reformed Church in North America, um, started collaborating on a Psalter hymnal project together. Um, so the U, um, URC is one of those churches with whom we have full um, Ecclesiastical Fellowship. And uh, it's been in the works for, for a number of years now. 
um, the the big news that we heard at this past assembly was that that should be available and in print, um, available for purchase come um, this Christmas. So that's that's something that that personally I'm excited about, looking forward to. Um, you know, especially I, I've been involved in church planting, and that's that's one of the things that that I've been anticipating using with our next church plant is starting a group out. You know, with that with that new Psalter hymnal, learning it together. And uh, so that was that was a big a big thing that happened as well was that that announcement that that should be coming out in Christmas. I am looking forward to that quite a bit. So um, we've been we've been talking about that a lot here at the here at the seminary. And on one hand, as as a guy who is um, you know under care of the PCA or PCA Church, um, I'm sad to see the OPC and the URCNA moving ahead with a um, with a hymnal psalter project without the PCA, since the OPC and the PCA you know, were the first bodies to collaborate for the original Trinity hymnal, or at least the red one that we have in our pews. That's what we call it, the red one. I mean, you can get it in red, blue, or green, but it's usually... <laughs> it's still it's the usually, red one. <laughs> yeah, it's usually red. So I, on one hand, I'm, I'm sad to see them moving forward without the PCA. On the other hand, I'm excited to see another um, Orthodox, Reformed uh, hymnal uh, available to our churches. I think that there's nothing wrong with that, and that's that's an altogether good thing uh, worth celebrating. And some of the settings of the psalms and the hymns that I've seen in that um, in in that hymnal psalter have been really excellent and and quite singable. And I'm excited to get a copy when it's when it's you know produced. So. Um, good, thank you good, for yeah. reminding me of that. I sure. had forgotten that you all were still discussing that at this GA. Now, that was the most encouraging takeaway. Uh, was there anything that that was concerning to you or or that you were even alarmed by? Yeah, no, nothing at all comes to mind in that respect. Um, I think, you know, I think God is, God is definitely blessing the work of the church. Um, again, not that there weren't difficult moments. Um, but, you know, again, as, as I have in the past, I always leave General Assembly just, just being overwhelmingly encouraged and, um, and pleased to be part of a denomination that, that is able to, you know, do the work that it's doing. And, um, again, as I mentioned earlier, just, you know, renewing those relationships with, with the brothers. No, 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 nothing of concern or, or alarm from my perspective. Fantastic. And now, finally, are there any um, are there any concluding thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners before we dismiss? I, w- I would say, um, if if you ever have an opportunity, if you never have, and and you have you know something like this that's happening nearby, um, you know, be it the OPC or any other of um, you know the name park denominations, it, it really is um, an interesting thing to see how the business of the the church gets gets carried out. Um, it, uh, I think, you know, again, after my first General Assembly, I, I left with a lot more confidence in the denomination as a whole and the denomination's ability to get, get work done in a, you know, a God-honoring manner. Um, so that'd be, my, that'd be my last point of takeaway, I would say, for listeners who have never had the opportunity. Um, you know, go and visit one of these and just watch how the work's done. Brad, thank you. Thank you for your, your work and your ministry on um, in ministering to Christ's church and seeking the advancement of the kingdom through uh, mission works there in Miami Valley in Ohio. And thank you for joining us for the podcast, taking some time to, uh, to report on the 84th General Assembly of the OPC. Thank you, Zach. It's been good to be with you. 
You've been listening to a production of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. For more information about the seminary, please visit www.gpts.edu.